Jim Shoemaker, David Rochester, and Jim Whitehead are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Good morning. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, this morning we are going to be talking with David Rochester and Jim Whitehead. We're going to talk first. One of the questions that we get a lot, and it's one of those questions that I think, and we appreciate you sending it. Of course, if you've got questions for Talk Money, just send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we will get your question on the air. This particular question, and I think it's one that a lot of people ask, a lot of people are concerned about, whether we realize it or not, preparing for retirement should start somewhere around 25 to 35, but we put it off. In fact, I've said this to a lot of people. When I talk to someone, if I say, okay, you're 35 years old, let's talk about retirement, I get a couple of sentences, and that's not the way to plan for retirement. Now, if you're 55, I might get a page or two. But let me tell you what happens. If I get you at 65 and you want to talk about retirement, I get a book. Because guess what? It's now important. Well, what do you do about retirement before you get into that process? So I'm going to start with a couple of questions that David's going to help us walk through that you've asked about. And I think it's important that you pay attention because this is a great program to help you to know if you're ready to to retire. David, welcome to the program. Good morning, Jim. Listen, I, here's the question. So many people come back and say, I want to retire. They're maybe 50, 55 years old. They're thinking about it. And then maybe as they cr- approach it, getting closer to it, those questions come out. And I know one of the thoughts is a question, can I retire? Am I ready? All those thoughts go through their mind. And they start trying to put all their dollars together. And all of a sudden, they're asking questions about Social Security. And as you know, it can get complicated in answering those questions. Help us walk through this idea of Social Security. Sure, Jim. So I would say most people are asking, when should I retire? But the key question for a lot of folks is understanding how much of their income Social Security is going to make up. For most Americans, over two-thirds of their income is made up from Social Security income. And so, yes, it can be complex because there's not only the when, but the timing of when you take your Social Security benefits, when you retire, when you take your Social Security benefits. They're not synonymous. You don't have to turn on Social Security as soon as you retire. So you can decide to delay it. You could even take it early if you wanted to. So there's multiple ways to look at it, and yes, it's complex. Okay, complex. So when you talk about turning it on, and uh, I'm on Jim Whitehead. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jim. Uh, there's so many questions about when, David, and, and again, we're back and forth with you guys because both of you are, are both are very astute at this. 62. David, is that too early to take Social Security? A lot of people think that, but it's not always the case. What's your thoughts? Well, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's the typical answer of it depends, okay? I think if you have a plenty of assets outside, then you may decide not to turn on Social Security at 62, But also, if you're anticipating a short lifespan, it may make sense to apply early. The key thing that we need to understand is you are taking a permanent reduction in your Social Security income if you apply early. 
So for most people, full retirement age is 66 or 67 or somewhere in between. So taking it early means that you are reducing your Social Security income check. What do you think about that, Jim? Do you do you see people that say, well, I, I you know, you talked about it, and, and David mentioned it, their mortality. I understand that. Most of us don't know that. Right. I mean, so, but what do you think about from standpoint of taking it early, or would you always say, no, never take it early? Well, I think it has to do a lot with David saying is how long are you expected to live? So you have to look at your family, um, which is the you know it's a throw the dice. I mean, you know, nobody knows that we know right. that we're not going to live, but we don't know. Well, and you also have to look at what else you've done for retirement. You know, and look at the buckets of money that you have, and then position yourself well. Kind of like what David's saying is, you know, do I pick it at sixty-two? Do I pick it at seventy? Well, those are two different size buckets. And then what have you done already with your retirement planning? Can you take from your 401k for a minute before you start your retirement plan with Social Security? I think all those are key attributes to to building a good retirement plan. I think you guys are just asking a lot of questions. I mean, that's the bottom line is because what you're saying is it's a plan. That's right. You have to go through a process. It's not a set answer for everybody. And it's a great point. Yes, we are asking questions because that's what the individual should be doing is asking themselves those questions. I think a lot of times people just assume they're going to get to a certain age, they're going to retire, they're going to turn on Social Security, and everything's going to be great. But what planning was done in advance? And you've got to sit down and really study things. Go ahead. David, let me ask this. When you say planning, now I started the program with the 25 to 35. You should be least thinking about it. And, and I said it's about two sentences, and that's about all we get. When I started in this business years ago, if I could get somebody to 66, they didn't really live much longer than, I mean, mortality was, let's say mortality was stretching it 73 to 75. Today, from your practice, I know you're thinking 90. 30 years in retirement is not not uh, unheard of. 25 we were, years, I mean, retire at 65, live to 90, that's 25 years. We were just talking before the program started. You've got someone that's 90, 91, and somebody that's you just talked to on the phone the other day that's turning 101. They turned 101 two weeks ago, uh, or last week. That's and right. That's the key. I mean, right. people have to realize that today we were talking about mortality if you for 62, but reality, more people are living to be 85, well, 90, 90. Modern healthcare. Who would have thought that just, you know, with, with something like COVID or some of the viruses, we would ever be able to treat cancer mm-hmm. like we do today. True. So there's a lot of things today that we have in medical advancements and technology. People are just living longer. And, of course, there's the old average. Half people beat the average and half don't. That's true. But I think the average is something around 83 plus 83 for women plus, today. Yeah. And it's, it continues to, to go up. So you've got to plan for the long term. Plan for the short term. If you die early, that's pretty easy. It doesn't take as much money. It takes a lot more money to live a long time. And I think when you're talking about planning, you guys talk about the couple, and one of the one member of that couple is going to live to be over 85 years old. And you break up a, a good point because let's say that your primary breadwinner, and when I say primary, the, the larger breadwinner, doesn't matter which spouse it is, applies for Social Security at age 62, Okay. And let's imagine that the other spouse maybe had not put as many years into Social Security. They were a homemaker. They, you know, had different jobs where they couldn't put into the uh, Social Security program the entire time. And when retirement comes, many times they will get more money from Social Security if they apply for their half of their spouse's Social Security than for their own. Well, if their spouse took it early, they took permanent reduction, which means it also reduces their permanent reduction, not only when they retire, 
But if their spouse dies before them, there's a permanent reduction in the total benefit. So knowing what that Social Security benefit is, knowing the best way to use it, asking all the questions, doing the research, bring, I mean, we have somebody at the office that knows it backwards. He's on the program all the time, Mm -hmm. Shannon Dyson. And so you have to put all that together. It's not just a fixed answer, not something that's an easy, it's not a multiple choice. It's this, you've got to really do some exactly right to work through. You have to treat it as a variable. Absolutely. You know, David, you know, we spend our whole life working and earning an income and all of a sudden we're transitioning into this new world. How do you deal with like the fear of the unknown or maybe even the fear of running out of money? I think it's a great point. I think you've got to sit down and first of all, create your own budget. If you think about what you're spending today, um, what's that going to look like in retirement? Is your house going to be paid off or not? Will you continue to carry that mortgage? That might even be a good idea in some people's case. Hmm. Uh, you've got to look at where your money's going to come from. We mentioned Social Security, but there's some fortunate people out there that still have something called a pension. And I'd like to have one of those because that is a guaranteed source of income. So you total up your sources of income and then determine also what are your expenses going to look like? Are, is your income more than your expenses on average or is it going to be less? If it's less, what we call a shortfall, you've got to evaluate how you're going to make up that shortfall so that you don't deplete all of your assets. All right, hang on to the word shortfall. We'll be back in just a second because I think that's a great point how to deal with that. It's troubling to a lot of people because they've got to figure that out. That's important. If you just tuned in, my guest is David Rochester and Jim Whitehead. We're talking about questions that you've asked. When it comes to looking at your retirement, Social Security, when do you take it? That's one we've tried to address so far. And then, of course, putting a budget together. When we come back, we're going to talk about shortfalls in the budget. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. And welcome back. My guest is David Rochester and Jim Whitehead. We're talking about questions that you've asked us about retirement. And the question really came out this way, am I ready for retirement? Now, you know, that's a loaded question because usually when you're asking that, uh, you're kind of, yeah, it's going to it's about to happen. The problem is, is it is it something that you've planned for or have you thought through it? Well, they're asking questions or answering questions that you have asked. And the first question, what about Social Security? Well, you got to do some planning with Social Security. You can't just put Social Security and say it's this number. There's so many important moving parts to Social Security. So my suggestion, find somebody, do the research. Don't just ask the neighbors down the street, what did they do? Because it might not work just for you. So be sensitive to that. And then, of course, you know, when you think through that, what about your budget? And we got into putting the budget together. So many people live on a budget they think they do, at least. They talk about it, that they spend the money. Then all of a sudden, when it comes time to put your retirement plan together, you got to say, okay, if X is what I'm spending, have I got enough money to meet X? Well, as we talked about it just before the break, there could be a shortfall. So, David, what is what do you do when you look at your ex expenses and you say, I got it, and you look at the income that's coming in and you got a shortfall? How do you deal with that? Yeah, so shortfall means you just don't have enough to pay your expenses. But that's not good. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> no. I, what's wrong with that picture? Well, it may be good for a year or two, but then it's not going to be good. And, it's, you know, it's just going to create a lot of problems. So, that's where you, you, you've got to plan that ahead. You've got to get it down on paper. You've got to think it through. You've got to think about fixed expenses versus variable. Fixed would be if you've got a house note, health care costs, insurance, 
utilities, and so those are pretty fixed. Your variable going to be your traveling, your hobbies. Some of those you can decide whether to alter, some you can't, right? So I think you get that in order, but in order to really kind of fix the shortfall, and I'm going to give you a kind of a little bit of an example here in a minute, but you got to look at what is my guaranteed income or what is my income that I can rely on, how much am I short, and how do I make that up? So I'm just going to, here's, let's just think about some simple math here. Let's say that I have income coming in from Social Security and it's $30,000 net of taxes and expenses and so forth. But my expenses are $50,000 per year. So $30,000 a year in income, $50,000 a year in expenses. That's pretty simple math. We're $20,000 short. How are we going to make up the $20,000? Well, it could be part-time work, for at least for a while. Uh, it could be... Uh, a rich uncle leaving you all his money. I was going to call Jim, yeah, right? <laughs> uncle Jim, that's right. <laughs> uncle Jim. Uh, hey, Jim, I'm standing in line too. So, you know, I mean, those are things that you that you can't rely on that. And so it comes back to your savings. So let's just take a simple example. If I need 20000 and let's imagine that I was going to take out 4% of whatever my savings and investments are. Well, just take 20000 divided uh, by 4%. It's $500,000. Okay, it's five. So assuming I got 401k plans, got a half yeah, million. Yeah. So you got 20000 just take that money. Is that the earnings from it? Is that what you're talking no, about? No, not necessarily. And I, that's a great question. I think if we look backwards, maybe our parents or grandparents had CDs and things like that. They were paying them a very high rate of return. It's probably more due to total return today. You're going to have portfolios, so a mixture of things. So it's okay to take some of the principles, what you're saying. Yes, as long as you have the right mixture of total portfolio. So think through that. Make sure you're planning. But don't feel like, you know, some people, as you say, well, I've locked it up. I can't touch the principal. I think a lot of people try to save that principal for their kids and their grandkids. That's a great point. When in reality, they need to take care of themselves. Jim, I'll, I'll throw this in there. I'm sure we'll come back to it. You know, one thing people save the principal for is their nursing home costs. Okay. Uh, I've heard that plenty of times. Can't do anything with that money. That's from my nursing home. Mm-hmm. And so, and I get that. And that's getting mentally prepared for the when and if that happens. But still, you've got to look at the whole portfolio in terms of providing for retirement as well. Well, you've given us some great questions and great answers as we've gone through this process of asking questions about what people need to be thinking about, but also providing some tremendous answers to those questions. But now, here's the thought that I think so many people struggle with. And I think it's one of those things we we can talk about all the shortfalls. We can talk about Social Security, where the money's invested, you know, return of principal, whatever you're going to do. But what about the fact that retirement becomes an emotional decision? That's a big Mm. one. And I think a lot of us look at it as though when I get to a certain age, I'm going to retire. Well, that's great. And and I don't, I think, but I think you got to plan for that. What are you going to do with the 40 plus hours you've worked uh, per year for sometimes 20? five, 30 years, maybe longer, what's going to fill that void? And a lot of people say, well, I've got my hobbies. I'm going to, I'm going to play golf. I'm going to travel. I'm going to maybe even volunteer and, and, or work part-time. But I think you've got to identify that early on because it is emotional, not just financial. You've got to take both aspects into account. David, I, David, do you find that in stages? Like, hey, this is the first 10 years of retirement. We might do more traveling, but the last 10 years of retirement, you know, walk me through how you walk a client through the stages of that. Yeah, that's a great point. So I don't know that we plan to do it that way, but that is almost automatic. Right. You know, we're going to be more active when we're younger. We're going to be healthier. We're going to have more things that we didn't get to do we're thinking of. And then maybe it's a bucket list item. You've chipped off those bucket list items and what's left. You know, I think about uh, folks who, you know, kind of like myself, they're outdoorsmen or they play golf. You know, if you play golf two or three days or maybe just weekends before, you're now ready to play golf 
five to seven days a week. Right. That's a lot of golf. And uh, hopefully you, know, you get better, right? Uh, hopefully you get better. You know, in my case, I quit. Right. So, uh, but you've got to think about it. not only is it the time consumption, but obviously I've heard somebody say this yesterday. They said, when you retire, every day is Saturday. So when do you spend the most money? Saturday. Saturday. Why? Right. Because during the week you're working. On Sundays, you're probably So budget might go up. Yeah, exactly. The first so, 10 or 20 years. So I think you've got to think about that. And that so it's not just my income I can rely on from Social Security or pensions. I've got to think about having enough money to cover all those other items. I know, David, you spend a lot of time. You're a retirement income certified principal or specialist. You mm-hmm. do that. You talk to a lot of people. I think the emotional side is that side that so many people think they've thought through it. You guys had a great dialogue there about the 10 years. The first, It's important for somebody to think about that. Right. You don't want to think about it after the fact. Right. You want to you want to anticipate what you're going to do. Well, if we've just tuned in, we've been talking with David Rochester and Jim Whitehead. We've been talking about retirement and some of the questions that you've asked us, and we hope we've given you some insight. But we're going to turn the page because Jim Whitehead's going to answer some questions that also that you've asked. And I tell you what, this is a question that I think everybody needs to understand. And Jim, I'm just going to set it up for you. What do you look for when you're selecting an advisor? I mean, so many times people just don't know the questions to ask. And you guys have just been great at describing an issue people face. But how do they select an advisor to help them get through it? Talk to me, Jim. You know, I think one of the first things you want to be able to relate to that, that advisor. Is that advisor concerned about you? Are they asking you questions? Or are they just telling you how they run their business? But don't you think Jim, in all seriousness, that everybody, when you start with that person, they come across that way? I mean, I would think there would be nobody successful in the business that wouldn't give that impression that they're really looking to help the individual. I mean, in all honesty, that that seems to me like a, I appreciate what you said, but the reality is I can't imagine somebody not giving that impression to a possible person that they're going to think about. Well, I, I think like in any relationship, right, first impressions matter. However, you got to dig down in the onion, the layers a little bit. Um, a well-versed um, professional advisor is going to start taking you down a different path. They're going to start telling you the things that you want to know about, like, hey, what about fees? Or, hey, how, what's the standards of which I do business? Or how do I help the client discover their real needs? You know, a lot of clients come to the advisors, like what Dave was just talking about, they have no idea what an investment portfolio should look like or, you know, what they're really trying to accomplish. And then they have a good advisor or a good advisory team is going to dig down and, and put the client first and ask a lot of maybe uncomfortable questions. Okay, I understand that. I get it. Now, here's the thought. I want to ask this question. Bottom line, is it okay for this person who's interviewing the advisor, should they just step right into the question, how do you make money from my, from my relationship? Is you know, that right? Yeah, you know, over the last 10 years, uh, earlier 10 years, people never asked that question. It was almost like they didn't want to ask it. Now I'm finding that 8 out of 10, especially millennials, they love to ask that question. How do you get paid from this um, relationship? You know, and it really depends on client needs. We forget that. They want to talk about fees, but it's really what do you do with that client? How do you help them? And the two number one ways that we do get paid is obviously going to be a fee situation where we are a transaction and a fee for managing money. And there's also a commission type where a different type of product, instead of paying a fee, pays a commission. Both of those are not paid directly to the advisor. They're paid from the product or tool that the client 
is getting into that fits their needs. And I think that's the most important thing. I think it should, as fiduciaries, we should be bringing it up. But I do find that most most new clients are, are asking that question. And I think it's because clients are more educated today about products and tools and the way we do business to serve them. And so I think it's a good question for them to ask. They shouldn't be embarrassed about it. That is a common practice now to be asking those questions. And so the answer, they should be listening for the answer. It's either fee-based or commission. It can be a combination of the two. That's correct. But you need to understand that. So that's a good question. You also mentioned fiduciary, and I want to come back with that when we take the break. And after the break, we'll come back. And I want you to explain what does it mean to be a fiduciary? I, uh, we just got to, you know, we've got great guys here, and this is great questions. Here, what we're looking about, selecting an advisor. Stay with us. This is Talk Money, and I am Jim Shoemaker. Thank you for listening. This is Talk Money. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Nancy Crawford Butcher or the Better Business Bureau of the Mid-South. The views and opinions expressed are those of Nancy Crawford Butcher only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And welcome back. This is Talk Money. Nancy Crawford Bishop, Bishop <laughs> Butcher, man, that's got, you know, Nancy Crawford. Let's see. Let me see if I can do it. Nancy Crawford Butcher. That's how you do it. I've known her for as many, many years as Nancy Crawford. I have to add this butcher in because she went out and got married, and she is just a wonderful lady. She's with us in the last part of the show. We're going to talk about some scams that are going on in Memphis, Tennessee. You do not want to miss that part. She is always just a plethora of knowledge, and I can't wait to get into that and let her just tell us all about that. But right now, I am talking to two wonderful advisors, and Jim Whitehead and David Rochester, and Jim is helping us know the questions that you should ask if you're looking to select an advisor, whether it's retirement planning, whether it's your portfolio management, whether it's a college fund for your children. How do you ask these questions, or what questions should you ask? Well, first off, right out of the shoot was Jim Whitehead said it's okay to ask. How do you get paid? Fee-based, commissions, combination of both. It's okay to ask. Step right out and do that. Lean into the person you're interviewing. Lean in to ask the question and then expect a good answer. And Jim, you mentioned fiduciary a while ago. So help us understand the word and what that means, fiduciary. Well, you know, fiduciary has been a buzzword probably for about 10 years. And, and everybody wants to know, are you a fiduciary? Well, before I started in this career, there was the, the golden rule treat people the way they ought to be treated or the way they expected to be treated. So fiduciary isn't a new term. It's just a, a, a thing that we financial advisors need to be explaining to clients that we are putting your best interest first, not just today, but throughout the entire relationship that we have with you as we guide you to financial success or financial peace or whatever it might be. Another word that we forget about is suitability. Everybody wants to talk about fiduciary responsibilities, but they forget about suitability. And suitability says, I am going to go find the right product, tool, transaction that's appropriate for you and your situation today and hopefully with the flexibility to change for tomorrow. 
And so the two words are fiduciary and suitability. Well, so it's okay to ask the question, you know, what standard you work under, and is it both fiduciary and suitability, or is it either or? Well, you know, I think you, you want an advisor who has both. Okay, so and, you want and, them to think both ways. Well, that's true. And also, you it kind of separates, these answers will separate you from a professional who has a lot of license and credentials and can bring a lot of products to the table that aren't captive, but can bring you whatever product's best for you, not just what they have. I got you. And I, and I think that comes from how we advisors are licensed. Um, the, all the many licenses that we can have to bring products to you. That's why we get licensed through the SEC, through our, 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 you know, our local company, to be able to bring better products. I got it. I got it. So helping a person understand that quality products is what you're talking about, fiduciary suitability. I like what you said, fiduciaries for the long haul. Right. That's staying with the client for the long relationship. All right, let me ask this now. Investment philosophy. I get that question almost on a regular basis. What is your talking to me, investment philosophy. How do you explain that, Jim? I mean, investment philosophy. Right. Well, I think the key here is I have clients come in all the time, and they'll show me their investment account, and they have no direct path or strategy with the way they're managing money. And sometimes people ask me, Jim, what's your investment philosophy? And I, and I like to take my clients and my new people who are asking these questions through just a series of four things. First, purpose. What is this money for? I know David was talking earlier about retirement, right? Well, my entire life, retirement was a long time. Well, now I'm 53. Retirement's getting close. So I don't look retirement as He's one. He's now th- writing a, you know, a couple of paragraphs, <laughs> maybe even a page or two. <laughs> right? I, think I like it. I have a little book. Yeah. Uh, and so now I'm having to help clients understand, well, what's the purpose of my first part of retirement that Dave was talking about? Are you going to travel? Or what are you going to do? What's the second part of retirement look like? Are you, do you have longevity in your family? Are you going to live a long time? What's the third part of it? Do you have so much money that maybe you want to leave it? When we when we attack a purpose to our money, it has a different life than if we just have money. I like that. I like that. Purpose. Got right. it. The next is time. It's pretty easy. And it says, when do I need it? How long do I want it to last? Well, I've never met anybody yet, and you tell me if I'm wrong, that says, I don't want my money to last very long. <laughs> I mean, I've had people come to me with just a little bit of money, and they're, they, they say the same thing. I want this to last forever, Jim. I'm like, man, we got a job to do, right? Mm-hmm. We got some work. But that's what it's about. It's making sure that the client is okay today and tomorrow and that their money doesn't run out. And I think Dave was talking earlier about the strategies and the analysis to make sure that's okay. And if it's not, adjust now. We have time to adjust today. We may not be able to adjust tomorrow. So time is important. All right. Purpose, time, you said they were four. Yes, three. risk. Risk, okay, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, how much gain or loss are you willing to take for better returns? Can you sleep at night? Can you sleep at night? Is this portfolio, is this money being managed appropriate to how I think and feel and need it? I being the client. I being the client, always. so, So when you ask the question to the advisor, are you managing risk for me? Right. That's a good question. And, I like and, that. You know, advisors should be taking their clients or potential clients through some type of test to monitor that. Not just, am I going to get your gut feeling today? Yeah. I need to take you through a test, and I need to make sure and clarify that the way you want this money to be managed is the way you really – and then the professional can build that portfolio. 
a lot of times we just talk about portfolios, but without purpose and time, I don't think a portfolio matters. So if you go through that process with risk, and I mean risk can be a big topic for a lot of people. So you've talked about purpose, time, and risk. And I know the fourth one, and I realize that fourth sometimes is kind of almost the capstone. It's cost. What That's right. Cost? Well, and a lot of times once we get to the third, the fourth one, the cost, we are starting to, you know, after we discover the facts first and understand and clarify what the client wants, the end of that is let's put them in the right tool the right product, the right mutual fund, the right stock. And at that time, there's a cost of doing business that the client will occur by buying a stock or buying a mutual fund. And as a fiduciary, right, we want to do those two things. We want to make sure we're talking about anything that can take away from the growth of their account. That's fees. Matter of fact, that's also the one we forget most of the time is what's going to happen when I take the money out, which may be a taxable event. So my 401k all this year where most Americans save their money, when I get it all out, what's going to happen? They're going to be taxed. We need to be talking about that transaction at that time because that matters. So we want to talk about costs, both from a fiduciary and a suitability perspective, so that clients understand that we're on top of all of that for the client. And after we do those four things, I think the, the, the last two we forget about. Fear and expectations. Ah, that's good. Right? So we do the first four to build a strategy to make sure that we're handling fear and expectations for the client. Well, I think that's critical. I think what you talked about is critical for people to to understand. And the fact that you're a certified financial planner, what you're doing is you're taking that into consideration. You're looking at the big picture as the fiduciary. I like those four, purpose, time, risk, and cost. Perfect to think about. What about, I'm going to ask you, David, I want to lean into you. We talk about putting together a team. I think a question that a lot of people ask is, do you have a, do, what happens if something happens to you, David? That's a question. You're the advisor. I'm about to, you know, I'm looking to hire you. We've talked about fiduciary, suitability. Jim's done a great job. The four buckets there, the, the ideas behind, you know, purpose, time, risk, and cost. But what about if you're not here? That's what a happens? great point. Obviously, my clients are going to want people to step into my role if I can't By the way, he's 53, you know, so right. he's an old man. Sure. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I used to think that. Yeah, right. But we, you want to know that somebody's ready to stand in the gap, that other people know what's going on with the planning or with the investments, the portfolio, the risk management that, that you and that client have performed and is put that together. Is that important? Yes, I mean, it is. Yes, it is. Because now, they're trusting you with their I'll money. I'll give you an example, Jim. Let's say that Leslie and I are married. I'm meeting with an advisor. We've got it all laid out. I die. Who does my wife typically rely on first? The Me. advisor. Yeah, they're right. I need to know that my advisor can yes. step in the gap and provide my, my, my family with the income or resources they need to continue as though I were still what living. What you're saying is the real client in this situation is Leslie. That's true. Now, we're a team also, I know so that. we're both the client. But the reality is, you know, we know that usually the, the, the spouse, the wife, is the one that's going to live the longest right. in most cases. So there's going to be a time when that person has to trust the advisor that they work that's with. That's exactly 5, 10, right. 15. And then back to team, it's not just another advisor, but who's supporting that advisor? Yeah, that's true. And good. so we talk about the team of, of everybody that's working in the firm to support that couple. When you say everybody working at the firm, Jim, what are you talking about? Well, first I'll talk about excellent advice. Um, next, I'm going to talk about quality products and then service. Not just today, but throughout the, the relationship with that client. A lot of times people say, how often do you meet? Well, when you have a good service team of 14 people, 13 people, we can we can help you every day. Not just when we have an agenda to serve you, but when you need a question answered, you call in, you come by, our team will take care of you. That service relationship 
It's something that builds and builds and builds, no matter if the advisor is available or if the office manager is available or the wealth management team is available or the service team is available. We need to be there when you have a question. That's, That's what's important. Jim, what you're saying is you're not just transaction-oriented to solve today's problem or find a purpose for today's money. You're looking at this for a long period of time to develop almost a family-type relationship right. with your clients. Well, I've never had any part of my relationship with anybody that things don't happen. And when they happen, we have to be available for the client. That's what we're saying. So asking if you got a team is important. Absolutely. An in-house team. An in-house team. Excellent. Well said. Guys, that's been great answers to a question. How do I ask the question to find out a good advisor? What do I lean into? You've covered them. Thank you so much for that, guys. Jim Whitehead and David Rochester, thank you, guys. A great program. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Nancy Crawford Butcher. You didn't know I could do it this time. Nancy Crawford Butcher. Hey, I got it. We're going to talk about some scams. We're going to talk about FEMA and COVID-19, Better Business Bureau. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. My guest, Nancy Crawford Butcher and Daniel Irwin there with the Better Business Bureau. And we're talking about some of the FEMA FEMA program that has just started financial assistance for funeral and burial expenses for deaths that are related to COVID-19. And let me just introduce these people again. Nancy Crossford Butcher. Butcher, I almost got it. Almost got it out. (laughs) And Daniel Irwin. Nancy, I have called you Nancy Crawford for so long, and it's just I struggle putting the butcher in there. Tell your husband it's not a personal thing. (laughs) I will. I will do that. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. What is this FEMA program? Well, it's important to know that there is a legitimate offer related to COVID from FEMA, and they are providing financial assistance for funeral expenses and burial expenses related to COVID-19 deaths. The expenses had to have been incurred after January 20th, 2020. There's a maximum of $9,000 per funeral. You do have to provide documentation, including a death certificate. And they won't duplicate any benefits that you've gotten from other sources like burial insurance. You have to call FEMA to start the process. They're not going to call you and make an offer, okay? So you can go to FEMA.gov to get more information. There's a phone number you can call, 844-684-6333. We can give you that number at our office if you just want to call us. But FEMA, you have to call them. They're not going to call you. They're not going to call you. So, all right, that's important. That's important leading to why we have Daniel here. Yep. Because let's make sure we say that they are not going to call you because if you might have had a death, you have to initiate the process. You have to initiate the process. And we know that crooks have been exploiting this pandemic since the beginning of COVID-19. Phony websites selling PPE, phony government grants, phony treatments. FEMA already has an alert on their website warning that scammers are contacting people and saying, hey, let me help you register for this funeral assistance. That's not how it works. Mm, that's uh, The crooks step out of the woodwork and come 
charging at you. And you think about this. This is appealing to somebody's emotions. They've had an expense, and that's the problem. And, you know, I get frustrated with that. I get kind of upset about it, but that's what crooks are all about, is reaching out when they got you at your most vulnerable state. Absolutely. Daniel. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm glad to have you with us today. You've got a great smile. And I tell you, you're talking about a subject, though, that I know Nancy and I have had many, many conversations about this. I get kind of frustrated and upset. But tell us, what kind of scams are you seeing from the Better Business Bureau standpoint? What are you seeing? Right. So we have recently issued a scam warning about a specific fraudulent call uh, regarding these FEMA, um, what, what, what Nancy was talking about. Um, uh, specifically from FEMA, uh, some somebody claiming to be with FEMA trying to get your personal information. And they sure do sound legitimate. I mean, it's got a FEMA code on it and everything else. So Right. We've received 33 separate reports so far, all follow a very similar uh, narrative. Uh, these callers claim to be with FEMA. It'll even show up on your caller ID as FEMA or government. Uh, basically, the caller will say that uh, when you, you got your vaccination, they didn't get all the proper information, and they, they ask you for your Social Security number. Hmm. Uh, you know, that mean you think about that, guys. I mean, here you are. I just got my vaccination. I get that process. I get home. Uh, I get a call. And but it sucks. That sounds so legitimate. Hey, you just got your vaccination. Now, they, they're just calling. They don't know if you got your vaccination recently or not. They just... If they hit one, they get you. Well, most people, you know, uh, a lot of people have gotten their vaccination. And so somewhere between one and one million, you (laughs) know, pick pick a number. They're going to hit some number of people who have gotten their vaccination. And they're going to say, well, you left your Social Security number off. We have to have that number for your vaccination card. And they're going to get some number of people who will give them that information. One woman even reported to us that when she got that call, she told them, well, I haven't had my vaccine yet. And they asked they asked her for a social and said, well, we can sign you up right now. You know, we and just she, need your social. And she gave it to them. Well, I think this particular situation, she was smart enough to know that something wasn't right. But, you know, it, they wouldn't be doing it if people weren't falling for I'm it. I'm thinking right now of a half a dozen people that I know that are in their 80s that are that are so susceptible to that type of a scam that I'm hoping you're listening. If you're listening and you know somebody that might be susceptible to that, just make a phone call. Tell them to listen to the program. Do something. I mean, bottom line is we have to protect everybody. This is a community effort, and the Better Business Bureau is doing everything they can to give you the information. The reality is what are you doing with it? Talk to somebody. Tell them the crooks are out. They're doing their thing. Here's what you've got to be sensitive to. Don't trust your caller ID. Oh, amen. <laughs> That's a great point. In, in, all, in all 33 instances, everybody reported that it came up as FEMA on oh, their caller ID or government. Amazing. That's what's scary is they've gotten so good at that. I just got a call this morning. I have to tell you, this is great. I got a call this morning from the United Kingdom. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, become, it's become, I mean, almost hilarious, but it's almost scary that they can make a call and your caller ID says FEMA. You know, we've we've hearkened back to the days, Jim, when you and I were younger and we didn't have caller ID and we didn't have have an iPhone (laughs) and we didn't know who was on the other end of the call until we picked it up. 
now we do have caller ID, but it's the same as when we were younger. We don't know who's on the other end of the call until we pick it up. There's no way of knowing where that call's coming from because of the spoofing that goes on with caller ID. That is that is terrible. So, That's the key. Now, let me ask you this. There's not going to be a call coming from anybody that's saying they're FEMA that's asking for Social Security. We need to clarify that. That's not going to be that's not going to happen. If I give my do I have to give my Social Security number when I'm getting a vaccine? Nope. Nope. Never. never. They are not going to need it. They are not going to ask for it. You might have to show a photo ID and your vaccination appointment confirmation, but no Social Security number is needed to get your vaccine. Let's kind of can I say this as a rule? If I get a phone call and somebody's asking me for bank information or my Social Security number, hang up. Can I say that? Yep. Is that a better, can I make that better business advisor, better BBB advisor number 101? I mean, is that really it? That's it. A hundred percent of the time. If you get a call, somebody's asking for personal information, hang up. You initiate the call to whoever that caller said they were. If they're your bank, if they're social security, if it's FEMA, you place a call to that number that you know goes to that entity and say, hey, I just got a call asking for information. I don't give information out on uh, calls that come in to me. Were you calling trying to reach me? Great conversation. Great advice, too. Let me give that number that you mentioned a while ago from FEMA, because that is something you have to initiate. I'm sure we've already got somebody that's asked us for that number again. So 844-684-6333. It's on the Better Business Bureau site also. And we'll keep it here at the studios, 844-684-6333. What advice do you guys try to share with people on this ongoing process? Don't give out any personal information on a call that comes in to you. Like Daniel said, remember that caller ID can be spoofed. You can't trust it anymore. Government websites generally end in .gov. There are a few that don't. Um, But you can prevent scams by reporting them. Talk to people about them. Like you said earlier, Jim, talk to your elderly relatives and friends. Make sure that they have this information as well. And that helps people from falling for these scams. Report them to bbb.org slash scam tracker or give us a call at 901-759-1300 and just say, hey, I got this call. Do you think it's real or is it a scam? Oh, that's great, great advice. Thank you, guys. Great advice. It's always good to have you. Hey, you've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 at AM 990. I want to thank my guests, Nancy Crawford Butcher and Daniel Irwin. They've done a great job for us from the Better Business Bureau. David Rochester, Jim Whitehead, there was Shoemaker Financial. If you have questions for Nancy or Daniel, you can reach them at 827-6128. That's area code 901. Or David or Jim, you can call them at 757-5757. Also, area code 901. Next week, we're going to talk with Scott Jordan. Fundamentals for building an investment portfolio. You've asked the question, how do I put together an investment portfolio? That's Wednesdays at 9 a.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the mighty 990. We're here every week and we're trying our best to help you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
Jim Shoemaker, David Rochester, and Jim Whitehead are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. 